Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I'm your host, Shwinipu. This is episode 359. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Stacy. That is at StacyPan89 on Twitter. Stacy, how are you doing on this day after Boxing Day? Victory Wednesday. Uh, Merry Christmas. Merry, uh, Merry Nixmas. Um, doing pretty well. How about yourself? Uh, can't complain. Enjoying the... Uh, this is like the unofficial week holiday um after between christmas and new year so uh enjoying watching sports and doing really very little else um we're going to talk about sports specifically the knicks uh but before we get started i do have to make a few announcements first make that the strickland has an instagram check that out that is at the strickland on instagram posting all kinds of new content on there the Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast if you are and you haven't done so already please hit like and then subscribe to the channel that would be a huge help to us the Strickland also has merchandise. You can find that on our website, www.thestrick.land. There's a link that'll take you to the merchandise store. We got all kinds of cool stuff on there. T-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, water bottles, you name it, we've got it. And finally, the Strickland also has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There is a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland's podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland uh, the Strickland's newest podcast, Takes from Obvious Bozos, that is hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, along with Zach Flatter. And you also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod where I rant and rant about the next year more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. And now you get access to Strickland NFL, our newest podcast that is hosted by Constantine Metricos and Jeff Rasmussen, a podcast about, you guessed it, the NFL. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, $100 tier. That's one of the variety of additional benefits. Listen to some recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-host a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. And none of this would be possible without Bet Online. All the major sports are in action this week with the college football playoffs ready to kick off. Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info, including news for pro football, the NBA, upcoming fights, and NHL games this season. Head to the website today to get into the action and see all the updated odds for the week. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Um, so the Knicks won on Christmas. They beat the Bucks 129-122. I believe they had lost something like 11 or 12 straight to them uh, coming into the game. They lost the game, obviously, two days prior uh, on Saturday which was also a matinee game that started at 1230, uh, a game that really they were never close in. Um, what do you think changed, or do you just think they played better? Um, well, to the extent that defensive execution um, is playing better, I think that was the biggest difference. Um, so I'll start there. Um, obviously, Milwaukee still took 41 threes. Um, they didn't shoot a million percent. 
Um, they definitely missed some open shots. Um, but you could see from the, the jump, because um, I, I remember Benji had done a thread on, you know, just the lack of lack of effort, really, from a lot of the Knicks. Um, and the Bucks wear you down, right? So I don't want to say they were lazy, but you go up against a team like that. I'm sure to some extent, even subconsciously, maybe they feel like, you know, just this next closeout, who cares? Someone else is going to get an open three and they're going to hit it. They never miss. Uh, you could see from the jump, the Knicks were closing out with purpose. There's one play that I really thought summarized this. Um, you know, they're usually against stretch fives. One thing is they're like, we just have to live with that. We need our rim protectors there, right? So, Brooke Lopez, Booch, when they play the Bulls, they usually will get open threes. Um, and Brooke had a couple, but there was one play where Brooke got the ball and it looked like uh, it wasn't a pick and pop, it was, um, but Hartenstein had been shading into the paint. Brooke gets the ball above the arc, kind of at where, where the um, straight line meets the curve. And it looked like another three. And he's cashing those, right? That he's, he's a very good shooter. And Hartenstein closed out, not just out of control, but he was chopping his feet at seven foot one. And he, he, he not only forced Brooke, who's really big dude, he, he's pretty contest agnostic. He forced him to bring it down, but he couldn't even drive. And, and Brooke is reasonably quick for his size, too. And I thought that, that that was just one play, but it exemplified the attention to detail, the focus, and the discipline the Knicks had uh, on that end. And it was to a man, um, you know, obviously there are guys who are going to live up to that more than others, right? Quickly, Hart, DiVincenzo, I thought, with some, you know, he made some mistakes on defense, but they were really executing. But even you could see from Randall, you could see RJ had a really good, especially in, sec- in the second half defensive game. Uh, they, to a man, they all brought it. Uh, having said that, the Bucks still scored 122 points. Uh, and I think the other part of it was, again, the Knicks made a concerted effort to push the ball more. Uh, they're playing with a lot of pace. I do want to talk about that because um, I almost think of it a little bit like the Grinch's heart growing three times on Christmas. Um, mm. Because Tibbs, I, I, I think Brunson has really wanted to push the ball going back to last season. Um, and I think they're starting to do it more. And I think, especially because he trusts his point guard, um, Tibbs is, is leaning more into that. But I think the third part is they had three other guys. I mean, Brunson was Brunson. Um, we've said everything there is to say. That guy can be your top offensive option on any kind of contending team. I don't think there's a debate there. Um, well, maybe you're a misogynist. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Kenny. Um, I, I didn't mean to. It wasn't because uh, – <laughs> or, or, um, or, or Stephen A. Um, but they got three other guys. To, that was the, other, the supporting cast showed up. Um, they got quickly in limited minutes, got 20, 20 points. Um, RJ had a really good first half on offense. Uh, and Randall was what we, you know, have come to expect from Randall. And uh, to be fair, he's been solid against the Bucks, but they just have gotten no help for Brunson. Yesterday they had it. So I think those are the three keys. Um, just perfect execution on defense for the most part. Um, you know, pushing with pace, which had some mixed results because when they missed, it usually led to an open three for the Bucks. So I don't, but the, 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 and the, the biggest thing, you know, was also the supporting cast. I think if they can do that consistently, that's the real question. Can they, can the supporting cast show up consistently in the playoffs? That's what the difference, the biggest one is, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I'm still not sure about the pace. I will say this: um, How long is how many games has Mitch has missed? The last eight games, I believe. Right, they're five and three. He's been gone. Uh, the Knicks over their last nine games 
uh, rank 10th in pace. Um, if I go to, so I'll just do that. Last eight games. Uh, the Knicks are. Do you get that from PVP? Stuff? No, I, I get that from NBA.com. Um, the Knicks are 10th in yeah, there. So they're 10th in pace over their last eight games at 100.81. For the season, they're just over 98. Um, so I'd venture to guess that there's something closer to like 97 over the course, over the previous, uh, prior to the past eight games. So definitely a, a big uptick or not a, yeah, a pretty big uptick. Um, and I, I don't know exactly what to make of all that. Um, I do think some of this is not just about some, I, Look, Mitch being out is a big deal. I, I think they play faster without him. They also have opportunities to play faster without him because Hartenstein is way more capable of advancing play with passes after defensive rebounds. Um, and he's also just... Do you think Tibbs that, leans more into it with Mitch out because he knows that they have fewer options? They kind of have to do that because Mitch is out. Uh, I don't I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure about that. Um I'm not even sure that's true because I feel like the half court offense actually looks better without Mitch. Um, but I just think that Hartenstein naturally is more willing to push pace and he's also more capable of it. Mitch is not somebody you want or is necessarily capable of getting up and down the floor. And I think they deliberately slow down the pace with him. Um, I, yeah, I mean, watching the game, and then watching it back, like, I think the biggest thing that stands out is just um, how they were, I mean, they were pretty locked in to start the game um, overall. I thought, yes, you had your, you know, random Randall you know, brain dead moments. And then RJ had his stuff. I, I actually thought RJ's defense in this game, um, I was like pretty unimpressed by it. And generally speaking, like, I don't know what, He's like, what is he, 6'6", whatever the fuck he is, 6'6", 230. I get Middleton's a bigger guy, but, like, it just feels like he doesn't put up any resistance on him, and Middleton's just able to walk him down wherever he wants to go and get exactly where he wants and then put up a shot that is completely in his comfort zone. Um, I, I thought – I just think that's, like, it's it's not good enough, and I think that it's okay to expect more of RJ given the fact that he's – and he's big – and the fact that Middleton's not somebody who's going to like blow by you, especially not anymore. Like, I, I think it's, I think RJ needs to do a better job, and I think he can do a better job. So, um, I think that's worth being said. But overall, yeah, like the team was great, and um, defensively, I thought they were as good as you can hope to be uh, versus Milwaukee uh, until the final, like whatever it was, four or five minutes when. Look, again, I don't really want to sit here and criticize anybody after what was an awesome win, but I don't know what the fuck Randall and RJ were doing in the last four minutes. And I actually don't have any idea why the fuck RJ came back in the game. He came back in with like 3.30 left for no fucking reason after Quick had been uh, – I mean, Quick was awesome in that entire game and especially – Can I, can I pause it one thing there? Quick was awesome. Um, I think – so Quick came in with about six minutes left in the third quarter. If, uh, if you're going to do the minutes thing, I don't want to hear it. That's not why. No, well – I did. It seemed to me a little bit like quickly was getting a little fatigued. I think he should have closed, but there was one play late in that. I don't think this is why I got pulled. I don't think it justifies it because I don't think other players are always headless standard. There was a play where he was helping inside and they kicked it out to Portis in the corner. 
and wide open three for Bobby Portis and quickly did the Randall thing where he just watched. That's something you've never seen from quickly. So I do think, and it's not so much that it's a minutes thing. It's to me, this is more of a sign that he needs to start because he does end up playing these 15 minutes in a row stretches. Um, and I think does that, should he, should he maybe have gotten a quick breather and then bring him in to close? Maybe, I don't know. Um, but I think it is still, he needs to start the way Tibbs does the subs. That's kind of my takeaway. Yeah, I mean, he could have been a little tired. Yeah, he could have been fucking sucking oxygen, like needing an oxygen tank at half court in that game. I wouldn't have cared. He should have closed that game. Um, and RJ came in and did, I mean, he was like, I I genuinely like, I I don't even know what the hell him and Randall were doing to close that game. That Um, charge was fucking awful. That charge was pathetic. Put that on Hart. Like, I think Hart wanted to slow it down. He realized that a three and one, but it was like, it was not a bad pass at all. I mean, took two steps and RJ can also just pull, pull the ball out if he wants to, like, he doesn't have to go there and he has a dump off pass to Hartenstein. Like this is not, if he can't adjust to that, that's says more about him than Josh Hart. Like, I don't know. I don't think Hart made a bad play. I I think Hart was fine. I have no problem with what Josh Hart did on that play. I have a much bigger problem with the RJ did that play. And I have a bigger problem with it because he compounded it. I mean, it didn't matter. Because he made one of the free throws and that made it a seven point game, so game is over. But on basically the next possession they got, he had the same exact opportunity, and instead of Middleton this time taking a charge, it was Portis in that position, and Portis fouled him instead. But if Portis just stands there like Middleton does, it's another charge, and um, it's just you can't have it. He had another possession. I guess I'm just going to turn to this to like, uh, we had to criticize RJ today, but, but like he also had a possession in the third. I don't remember. I think it was the third quarter. It had to have been the third quarter where it was a kind of a semi-transition play where DiVincenzo cuts to the, like he basically gets the ball in the catch drives baseline. And then he swings it to RJ DiVincenzo relocates to the corner right next to RJ. Yeah. He's wide open. He's wide open. And it's like a no-brainer pass. And I think even Hubie Brown might have, might have said on the broadcast that RJ should have passed it back to him. Um, and RJ said, like, he drives. I don't even remember the end result of the play at this point. I think he might have gotten a foul or whatever it was. But it was just like, those are the plays that I'm just like, I just don't get it. Like, I just don't understand. And even, even the pass that precipitated that, he threw this, like, bullet to DiVincenzo, where his, like, right idea is cutting and he's a lane, but there wasn't much of one, and DiVincenzo struggled to, to to really save it, right? RJ, in that situation, probably could have kept it. I don't know if he was frustrated that DiVincenzo didn't take the layup or what, but after he got it back, to your point, that was another easy read. Like, now he's real like this is kind of how offenses work, right? If the first one doesn't work, it's not like, oh, okay, now it's my turn. No, like the guy got himself a shot. Um, yeah, it was it was just some baffling decision-making. I do want to highlight a lot of the good that he did. Um, he came out shooting the ball well. Uh, I don't love that he just seems to think he can challenge Brooke Lopez, but he had a couple of nice successful takes mixed in with some, some really tough ones that, uh, you know, Lopez is a great room protector. Um but you have to know your personnel. But I thought that overall, like, they got a, a good game from him. But to your point, yeah, down the stretch, it, it was tough to, to have him in there over over quickly. I mean, yeah, he, he he played a fine game because he scored really well in that game. What did he have? I, think, I don't even remember. He had, like, what, 20, 20 on 13 or something like that. Um, yeah. Like, he scored well, and therefore he had a good game. Um, but, like, 
even in that game, he manages to be a minus, like he's the biggest minus on the team somehow. Um, and it's just like, uh, it, and it, it has nothing to do with shot making. Like, I mean, yes, it has something to do with shot making, but it's like all of this stuff is within his grasp. But at some point, like if he doesn't do it, then he's just not going to do it. Um, you know, he's passing on like 26% of his drives now, which is, I mean, it is, that's an awful, awful rate. Um, he's still finishing poorly on drives. His, like his three point shooting. Yes. It was nice to see him make a few, uh, in this game, especially early on. Like, I think that definitely helped him and it helped the Knicks. I think it, it kind of, you know, it's easy to be like, well, just keep letting him shoot, you know, but, uh, when you make a couple of early shots, it changes how teams defend you. And so like, I think that helped him and, and the team out a lot. Um, but the decision-making is just not where it needs to be consistently. And like, it is his fifth year. I don't think it's crazy to hold him to a higher standard anymore. Um, and like the standard isn't just, oh, well, his defense has been better and he's making some floaters now and the free throw percentage has gone up. So therefore good. Like, I, I think it needs to be higher um, and it needs to be higher consistently because after that tear that he went on to start the year, right from three, like, he's down I mean, back to 35, 34.7%. Yeah. He's down back to 34.7%. Uh, his f- true shooting is now at a career high of 54.2, which is mostly down to free throw shooting. Um, and then, which is not insignificant, but I mean to say like this idea that he's growing leaps and bounds uh, anywhere else is just not, I-, I don't see it. Like his EFG, 48.3. And that just grades you on like, you know, basically what you're shooting from the field adjusted for three point percentage and volume. 48.3 that's lower than it was last year that's lower than it was his second year in the league like that's it, his career is 47.7 EFG so he's just eking above that um and that and for is, all the improvements on the floater he's back down to 34 and a half percent from three to 10 feet 31.4 from 10 to 16 right so it's still not an efficient part of his game like let me, let me ask you this like even if the decision making improved this is kind of where I'm at and you know, do you think even if the decision making improves, if he's just a 34, 35% three point shooter, is that enough from that position? You know, given that he's playing with Brunson and Randall at this point? Um, I genuinely, if it was like a steady 34, 35%, that might be enough, depending on who the other guy on the perimeter is. Like if it's Dante, you're shooting whatever the value, shooting like 40 something percent yeah maybe that's enough um but like with you know just with it's just how streaky he is where it's like every time you think like oh my god he's made a shooting leap then it's just like oh actually he hasn't and he's gonna suck for the next month and a half from three and it's brutal like it just sucks to watch and you feel like an asshole because you don't want to be rooting against him or like come across like that but then at the same time i'm like okay, can we just get him out of the game? Like if he, if he's just going to like not be able to make a shot and his defense is not particularly, I don't even want to say it's not been, it's been fine this year. It's been solid. This year. Yeah. It's not like moving the needle. It does not, it's not like he's Derek white or something, you know, the greatest player of all time, but like, <laughs> it, it's not like he's changing anything really too much out there and he's just doing his job. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I think, if that's what you're getting from him, then like, it's hard, honestly, for me to like, I think it's, I'm telling you, man, it, it, it must be 
Emmanuel Quickly might be the greatest teammate of all time because the fact that he's not said anything publicly, at least as far as we know, about his minutes, about anything, is crazy. Um, again, he, I think he's basically team high uh, plus fourteen. By the way, again, um, yeah, they they basically lost his minutes or lost his the minutes without him by seven, and they won by fucking whatever it was fourteen when he was on the floor. Um, but like, it's it just like he's 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 having to sacrifice minutes because R.J. Barrett is guaranteed to start on this team. And that made sense to me in R.J.'s first year, second year, third year, even to an extent last year. But at this point, it's his fifth year. If, if he's not better than this, and, and then you have – and not just that he's not better than this, but when you have so much data saying that Yes, Emmanuel Quickly and Josh Hart, for that matter, are awesome when they play next to your two best players, Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. And when you play those four together, you basically are blitzing teams off the floor. Like, I don't like. At some point, you have to make it a priority to play those guys together, not not to like sneak in three minutes here and four minutes there for them. Like it makes no sense to not play them more. And maybe that comes from starting or maybe that comes from giving somebody a quick hook. You know, like I don't really give not a shit what the fuck. It, yeah. I, I don't, I don't care what it is though. Like it just, it has to happen because the point, like we're trying to win, right? We're like that. We're like that. That's the point, right? We're trying to win basketball play to win the game. If, if you're not, if, if your argument, like your argument to not maximize that, has to be that you think ultimately playing RJ these minutes with these guys with whatever, like how he's going to develop is going to unlock this like higher level for him and therefore the team. And I just don't know what the evidence of that is. And like, I think it's pretty obvious visibly that those three guys, like, yes, they can make it work because they're all pretty talented offensively. Like as much as like there is value in RJ's just ability to get to the rim at volume. So like there's that's not insignificant, but like it doesn't flow that great, and you can tell at times it gets bogged down. And I think it's so obvious that when you watch those two play with IQ and play with heart, that group just works. It doesn't matter. And like yeah, you can I mean, tell IQ and heart. Having IQ and having heart are kind of the, the keys to basketball, right? Uh, correct, but like. I, I know that Josh Hart isn't shooting the three that well. I know that Julius Randles has not shot the three well this year at all. And whatever. We don't have a spacing five. I get all of like the surface level reasons for skepticism. Oh, quickly and Brunson are small. Like it's going to be, I don't care. Like you can give me the logic at the end of the day. Like that has not borne out. It didn't bear out against the fucking bucks in this game. Like that group was great together again like it's not a surprise it is consistently happening it has consistently happened since they acquired josh hart last year and i am happy that josh hart gets the benefit of the doubt and gets to play 28 30 whatever fucking many minutes he gets to play every night um that's fine i have no problem with that what i do have a problem with is players lesser than emmanuel quickly on this team both rj barrett and dante divincenzo getting more minutes than him at this point and not just getting more minutes than him, but getting, but playing them in rota- in lineups that you know would be better with quickly in their stead. So, 
like and and forgetting even if you want hey you want to say well we need to like we're still invested in rj we think there's something more coming like okay guess who else guess what works play fucking quickly instead of dante instead like this is not well quickly did have more minutes than dante by the end but it was by two and it it, uh, i i mean i don't want to rip dante i thought he really worked hard yeah i have no problem with that buddy I thought he I thought he battled pretty hard and I thought that you know I know Lillard scored a bunch of points but like I think he made it as hard as he could on him. I thought he did a really good job on him the game before too when really it felt he like had he was a foul game. on the closeout but um, yeah. but but like you know but it, you saw I think the one that really there was a stretch that really frustrated people where he he actually like shook his defender and then he ends up in like the, at like 18 feet and then he froze because he just ha- he doesn't have any options there, right? He's a limited player from, from that standpoint, and the ball went off like somebody knocked it off his head out of bounds, right? Um, and there there are a couple of those. Um, so I, I, so I think that on RJ, I think with this, if they're looking to upgrade, um, I do think RJ has value, right? He can get to the rim at will. Um, you can still see that event in time, like the, the decision making. It seems like something he can get to the level where he can really leverage that that rim pressure. So he has value, but I just think if you have Brunson doing what he's doing, you have a guy like Randall who has learned, I think, to play under a reasonable amount of control um, and can give you that controlled aggression. I think he's continued to evolve. You really want a shooter there. Um, You'd ideally want a shooter who can also create a little bit off the bounce. Um, And that's what quickly gives you. I mean, look, he had 20 points. Everyone says 20 points in 23 minutes, and it's like, why only 23 minutes, right? Was his defense bad? No, his defense was actually, I thought, excellent. He had... One, I think, one where he gave campaign a little bit too much space. That was really his own defensive bit. Um, and, and this is what people miss, right? They're like, well, you know, the on-off is skewed. It's been four years. Um, every time he's on the floor with whoever he's playing with, he's played with Alec Burks. He's played with Derek Rose. He played as the lone man on the bench unit. He's played with those Sims and Hartenstein lineups that had awful spacing. They win it every time. Um, so from a from a team standpoint, the guy clearly elevates you. Even if you don't completely buy the on-off, it's worth seeing what happens in more minutes when he has started. And there's people who say, well, he can't. Uh, you know, he he's not a he's not a great enough point guard to create without a screen. When he started in Brunson's stead, not only was he was the offense successful, he was averaging uh, 20 points, what six assists, five assists, pretty effective in that role too. Uh, in, in larger minutes. So, um, you know, I, I think the quickly thing, we all know he needs to play more minutes. To me personally, it's less an RJ thing. RJ still only had 27 minutes. To me, it's it's really the fact that DiVincenzo starts. Um, I think that DiVincenzo and Grimes should probably be at about 16 minutes a game. Um, Hart played 31 minutes. I thought he was awesome. I don't really have a big issue with that. But he take a couple of minutes from Hart, a couple of minutes from DiVincenzo. That gives you quickly up to 27, 28. Um, I think for when all is said and done, I don't have a problem with RJ getting 27 minutes like he did against the Bucks. Um, again, I do think quickly was tired at the end, and I, I think that if you know, I, I, I don't, um, you know, I think that they're, but I, I still think that's a little bit on Tibbs because again, you got to start the guy if you're going to have these kind of sub patterns. Um, and I think that that is the biggest candidate for internal improvement is to give quickly even five or six more minutes per game and give that lineup with Hart five or six more minutes per game, um, that is that is really something that can can really elevate the Knicks without making a trade. Um, I do want to also highlight the fact that this was not a game where the Knicks were particularly hot from three. 
Um, they shot 31% from three, eight for 26. Um, Brunson had 38 somehow, and he only took three, three, three pointers, um, which is, I didn't even think about that at the time. Um, that's pretty insane. Um, and but, but we, we do need to talk about Brunson, obviously. I want to sh- first shout out Isaiah Hartenstein. Um, sorry. Um, according to Stephen A. Smith, Isaiah Hartenstein, uh, we had to deal with, I mean, that was, I, that clip was just bafflingly bad. He said, we don't have Mitchell Robinson. We don't have Jericho Sims. You can tell he doesn't watch the Knicks, right? He probably just looked, oh, Jericho Sims is starting. He must be the second string. And Hartenstein has just been a monster. Um, you know, I, I yeah, he was great again on Christmas. Um, he, he's been great. He had a, I thought he played pretty well on Saturday too. I think he's generally been good against the Bucks. Um, 11 points, eight rebounds, four assists. Um, I, I like the only thing that worries me is like, can he sustain this level of effort consistently for 30 plus a night at that size? Uh, but so far he's been doing it. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, I mean, obviously Brunson was the best player on the floor. Um, but you know, I, I think it's worth shouting him out and, and I don't know why, you know, he's probably not getting the credit. Um, I, I I'm actually getting a little worried about the Knicks being able to retain him this summer. Retain Hartenstein? Um, I mean, I, I think if he doesn't get credit, it's more likely you'd retain him, right? Because people will be like, oh, it's just a gimmick. <laughs> I think it's... eventually he will is the point. But yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. I'm not too worried about it. I think he'll. I think he'll end up staying. Uh, if they want to keep him, you know, maybe if they if they're like, well, I'm just gonna make a full recovery. We like this guy just as much as we liked Hartenstein a couple of years ago. We'll just keep him. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just think he's been awesome. Um, and. You know, he seems like a great teammate. Everybody in the team seems to like him. I liked his one A post after Christmas Day on Instagram. That was a funny <laughs> post. Uh, I don't. I don't really about Brunson. Maybe he was talking about himself. Yeah, right. I I don't really know what there is to say about him. I just think that like, it's it's not insignificant to me that the offense just flows really well right now with him when he's with the starters. Even with you know, we talked about like some of the clunkiness with RJ and whatever, but like. It, it makes a difference when he's on the floor, um, even with that stuff. And it, it's probably precisely because of that stuff that he makes a difference because he's a more skilled player than Mitchell Robinson, and he has more in his bag that he's capable of doing. You can see they can run way more dribble handoff at the top of the key. It's not just pick and roll and hope that Mitch can then dive as fast as he can to the rim and get offensive rebounding position. Um, they're able to get through a lot more actions. Uh, they can play faster obviously as we've talked about like i just think all that stuff adds up and while he's nowhere near i mean he's not the defensive player mitchell robinson is but i do think he's he's more active in terms of like how far up the floor he can show out on screens i think he's more capable of executing diverse coverages um He's not the defensive rebounder Mitch is, although he's pretty good and definitely gotten better during his time in New York. But yeah, I I don't know. I, I don't really have a lot to say, mostly because I just think he's it's like very transparent what he provides. I, I don't it's not like a hidden thing. It's not like, you know, like it's not like a quickly thing where you're like, oh, people don't realize like how good he is at stunting, you know, and then recovering back to his man. Like it what he provides is so transparent that it's honestly ridiculous to me to listen to like how Stephen A. Smith was talking about it because I'm like okay so you just don't care that he's 
a great rim protector, that he has improved substantially as a defensive rebounder, that he's a good passer for a big I don't man. Think he watches him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, which I mean, is, all he knows is, is, oh, his name's Hardenstein. I, I haven't seen this guy. He yeah, which is its own, thing, which, like, yeah, I mean, which is its own stupid thing, but it's like, I, I don't know. I just, to me, like, I, I, not even trying to dismiss the conversation, I just don't like really know what to say because I just think it's been kind of obvious to me since last year to provide it. And it's why like earlier this year when I felt like he was trying to do like too much and just wasn't executing defensively the way we know he's capable of that. It was kind of, it was getting a little frustrating. Um, especially that, that Utah game he had was like really weird where he, I don't know what the hell was going on with him there, but you know, since Mitch has gone down, especially since he kind of like basically got put in as a starter against the Lakers because Sims was out after the first three minutes. I mean, he's been, I think you can argue he's been the Knicks' best player. He's been that good. Uh, I obviously you'd probably say Brunson, but like he's really been in that conversation. He's been excellent, and I think the the team suddenly like finding its footing and looking competent, and maybe not it's not the same level of defense we saw obviously at this from the start of the year, but they've definitely kind of tightened back down. That's not all down to him, but he deserves a lot of credit for it, and I think it gives guys like DiVincenzo and, and RJ and Brunson and whatever, a little more leeway and a little bit more kind of security of understanding what's there behind them. Whereas with Sims, you could just see like, it was a shit show every possession where you're like, these guys had no idea what to expect. They didn't have any trust in his ability to, Hey, if I'm going to force this guy, if I go over the screen and I force him to drive, I do I really trust him to like get a stop for us? And I think that stuff added up and, and really led to like, I mean, more or less a disintegration of the defensive integrity of the team. But um, yeah, this is, this is, I mean, he, he's been essential to kind of this little, I mean, I guess you can call it a mini turnaround after a mini slump. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's been fantastic. And it's worth noting, uh, um, I don't know where Stephen A got the 26th in defensive rating stat from. Um, he mentioned that in that clip. Uh, that that was, he, no, it, that was like their 26th since like it was like since Mitch had gone out, and it, it's but, like actually predates Mitch going out because if you remember, they got absolutely destroyed by Milwaukee and Boston. Plan. Yeah, it, off, defensively. So those those were also kind of there. But even even so, they're 14th on the season. If I go from December, I don't know the first date where Mitch was out. If you go to December 1st, that's their last 11 games. They're um, they're 16th in that time, right? And that again, or sorry, um, so they're lower in that time, but that does include three games against the Bucks. Um, it includes um, a game against the Celtics. Um, includes playing, you know, um, playing the Lakers and the Suns. Um, you know, the Suns are in a bit of turmoil, but they still have offensive firepower. Um, so I, I think that the defense is capable of a lot better um, than they've shown. Uh, they're a little bit shorthanded now. I think they'll probably make a move to kind of fix that at the deadline. Um, I, I, I'm i pretty, you know, I, I'm, I'm more bullish on the defense than I was, um, you know, when Mitch first went out. I think the bigger issue is really, I think, you know, somebody said this on Twitter that <laughs> the issue is not really Hartenstein replacing Mitch. Uh, the, the issue is really you have, Todd Gibson and Jericho Sims. I'll talk about Todd in a second because he absolutely deserves a shout out. Um, you know, it, it, there are, and I, I think that's another area again, 
you have a guy that's proven to be very impactful on defensive end in Emmanuel quickly. Um, Got to play more minutes. Um, that That's one way to, to really uh, improve that. Um, the other way, obviously, I think at the power forward position, I, I think Randall was like, he, he's their, really their only option on, on, um, on Giannis. Uh, I thought, by, by the way, I thought they had an awesome game plan against Giannis. Um, they were able to help, but I think with Giannis, a lot of it, you see in these games in the playoffs, it's an easy thing to say, build a wall and don't let him get in there, but he's so quick and so strong and he can delay his moves. You really have to force, you have to send your help and time it in such a way that he has to adjust and take poor angles on those finishes. When he does that, he can still make them because he's Giannis, but the timing on the help was really important. Um, cause you know, and, and when he got the ball at the top of key, Randall was saying, shoot, man, I don't care. <laughs> I thought Randall played that well. Um, but even when Giannis was getting his drives, there would be a late guy coming, not too late where Giannis already has the advantage, but also not too early where Giannis can do another move, right. Or create contact. The timing was great. And Hartenstein is excellent at that. I want to shout out another guy, uh, Todd Gibson. You know, everybody laughed when we signed Todd Gibson. Oh, here we go again. Like, I mean, and he's, but you, the thing is, it's, it's, it's a funny Tibbs thing. He's been very reliable over the last couple of years for the Knicks. Um, and he came in today or came in on, on, um, on, on Christmas. And I thought, I thought Todd did much like, I think Benji posted this, right? Like the Knicks had no right asking Todd to do what he did, but he did it. Uh, he only got called for one foul. He probably got away with a couple fouls, to be honest. Um, you know, but he, he gets some respect from the refs. And just the effort, um, the timing, his ability to affect shots, even though he's only 6'9". Um, you know, he took a corner three. You know, that, if he can maybe do one or two of those a game, that's that's not the worst thing in the world. I thought Taj was surprisingly good and and like a factor, a pretty important factor in them winning this game. Uh, yeah, he was actually awesome when he came in he had what three blocks or something um he definitely affected a lot of shots i don't know how many were actual I, blocks but uh well he, they, it's like yeah, one of those blocks too. yeah they're like the weird blocks where it's like a guy is gathering to go for a layup and you kind of hit him low and they count it as a block which i i never know how to feel about that because i'm like i kind of feel like that's just a steal so just call it a steal but they call it a block whatever either way it doesn't matter he knocked the ball loose uh more than more than once from Giannis, and like on in situations where it if he doesn't, Giannis probably just scoring, right? So like, he he was awesome, and I just think like, you know, is it tenable to expect Taj to like play at that level consistently for whatever whatever it would be like fifteen minutes a game while Mitch Robinson's out and and Hartenstein starting and Sims is out? I, I don't know. Now when Sims comes back, is Sims going to play ahead of Taj? I think he probably will, and I'm just I don't think he should. I mean, we'll see. I think I think it's I think it is easy to dismiss the idea of Sims benefiting from playing from the bench because we didn't we haven't seen it in like two years. He basically just had to play with the starters the entire time for no reason other than Tibbs being reluctant to like start Hartenstein because he has his rotations and they're his rotations. Um but like I mean, I still think there's a chance Sims off the bench is completely fine. That being said, like, if he's not, I don't think you can just be like, well, Taj, Taj, Taj has it. Like, if you're if you're trying to be serious about, like, potentially being a competitive team, 
and and winning a playoff series and maybe pushing a team in the second round to even get to the conference finals. I don't think that's really tenable, um, especially given Randall's limitations defensively. So like, I think that is something they need to address. But for now, for the time being, Todd has definitely helped at a critical moment in time. Um, and yeah, like he, he deserves a ton of credit for that. Uh, I, somehow we've managed to go nearly 40 minutes on this pod without talking about, uh, Jalen Brunson, Ryan Archie, Diakono. Oh yeah. Ryan Archie, Diakono. Actually, he didn't even get a minute in this game because, uh, because of how lackluster we were to close it in the last three or four minutes. But, um, yeah, Jalen Brunson, man, what a performance probably, I mean, he's had like a few this year where I'm like, man, that's one of the best performances I've seen from an individual player, especially in the regular season. Um, and honestly, I think he had the best individual performance I've seen personally in the playoffs last year from a Knicks player uh, in that game six against Miami that they lost. But um, yeah, I, I think this was another masterpiece under his belt. And and one thing that was very interesting about their shot chart in this game is I I've, I know it sounds ridiculous because they've actually scored pretty okay against the Bucks and gotten pretty good shots against the Bucks. But I think that their flow hasn't been great at times, and it's because of how Milwaukee is defending. And it's not that Milwaukee is particularly great defensively, but they really force you into taking a lot of pull-up jumpers, especially in the mid-range, because of how like not aggressive their drop coverage is, but like how aggressively they play drop in terms of how often and and how committed they are to it. Um, obviously, their size, their length could be a factor as well in that. Uh, in terms of deterring us from taking threes. Although I, I personally feel that's like a very small sample size thing that I don't totally buy. Like we can't, like I understand they're a better defensive team probably than the Nets, but like the Nets are a long team. The Lakers are a long team, but we were able to score better against them and create better shots against them. Um, but to bring it back to this, like I just thought Brunson and the team in general understood the game plan very clearly, understood what, Milwaukee likes to do defensively and what shots that you can get against them defensively. And they took it. Um, and yeah, sure. Brunson obviously does a lot of, he did a plenty of very flashy ISO, you know, is that last fadeaway on Dame. Yeah, like, that was not, it looked like a wrecked not. possession. Dame played excellent defense and he took the shot. I'm like, there's no way this is going in. It was like a Dirk fadeaway from a six yeah. footer. Yeah, it was, it was a wild shot. Um, but like, don't let, the flashy stuff take you like watch the start of that game. And I think Brunson hit like three straight middies to, to start the game. Um, and like it was, it's obvious to me anyway, or I would think it's obvious that he knew like he was comfortable taking those. Cause he knew like Brooks not coming up here. He's not challenging this. And I'm just going to walk into these shots and I'm going to hit them. And like, that's the simple stuff that, puts doubt in defense's minds, right? Like, oh, okay, now we have to adjust because Brunson's cooking from this from this spot. And I just think he the way he started that game opened so much up for everybody. And then obviously RJ had a good start. Um Randall picked it up kind of later in the first quarter and into the second quarter and then quickly came in. He was awesome. So like they got I mean those four guys did the bulk of the scoring. I think Josh Harmon ended up with 10 also. But like those four had Brunson at 38, I think Randall had 26, 27, 27, Quick had 20, and I think RJ had 22. I want to say, but I could be wrong on that. 
Um, twenty one. Sorry, Randall twenty four. RJ twenty one. Quickly twenty and twenty two minutes. So yeah. So like, those guys did the bulk of the scoring. But yeah, I mean Brunson, Brunson really. I mean that was that was a special performance, and it was a performance they needed because I think they needed to like they needed to be on the winning end of a game against one of these Eastern Conference elite teams, right? Like specifically Boston or Milwaukee, and um. Yeah, look, I think they've lost now. They've lost to Boston. Is it three times already this season? Yeah, they've lost. No, they lost them opener. They lost them another time in Boston, and they lost them after that in-season tournament loss um, a third time. And then they've lost to Milwaukee three times previously as well. So, yeah, like the Knicks – really needed to get a win against one of the big boys and they did and it was on christmas day it was a national game and so nobody can try and tell me the milwaukee wasn't trying to win this game because man if they weren't trying to win this game if i were the refs i'd been pissed because they did not shut the fuck up uh complaining about the refs the entire game yeah i mean i think when the knicks are playing well they do get under the skin of other teams i think you complain the most about the refs when you're getting gypped but i think it's pretty close when they're like the most frustrated i know when i've been with other players in pickup is like you know, it's, it's, you get more mad when it's like, yeah, like you're just there, you're, you're causing problems. And like the, the, when you're frustrated, you look for anything to latch onto. I think Giannis, they frustrated him. Um, You know, when I've seen teams in the playoffs stop him, that's what it looks like, right? What I was talking about timing the help. Well, um, you know, forcing him to choose between taking jumpers or like that slow motion thing and you're not biting, um, you know, in the half court. Um, I, so I thought Brunson was obviously awesome. Um, it's kind of crazy to think he left points on the floor. (laughs) Uh, you know, he had that floater at the end of the first half where it was like, it was a baby floater. It's the shot he hits in his sleep and nobody around him. And he missed that. (laughs) I was like, um, and that's, that's the difference between him and 40 points. Um, I don't know if you can win a, a championship with your best player, not being able to hit a technical free throw. Uh, I don't know what's up with that. Has <laughs> Brunson hit a single technical free throw this year? Um, you know, he missed two free throws. And, so he'd have had 42 points if he hits those. Those uh, He was incredible. Um, you know, I, I will say it's it's worth noting just the consistency comes from how how much he can add, right? I think this is what a lot of people miss is that because of, like, people are like, you can't rely on the mid-range game. But it's not so much that because the guy gets the rim. Like, if you give him, like, he's capable of getting around and finishing at the rim. He's capable of shooting from three. So defenses will concede those mid-range shots in the modern NBA, but he can hit them and it puts defenses in really a no-win situation. And um, but I'm gonna go a little bit over the other way. I do think there's a lot of flashy stuff. Oh no, um, there was. I wasn't trying to yeah, I was yeah, saying yeah. don't let the flashy stuff take away from like just how simple like understanding where your bread is buttered and understanding how a defense, what shots they're going to concede to you. Like, yeah, he, all the flashy stuff was awesome. But even with the flashy stuff, right, it's not like most of it was single coverage because they don't want to send help in the mid-range. So he understood that. And he was very comfortable operating in there. Not that he's, I mean, he's always comfortable operating in the mid-range, but this year we've seen him be more aggressive about taking threes and all that kind of stuff. And I think this was kind of, not a departure, but it was more like a... Only took three three-pointers this game. Yeah, it was, it was kind of like a throwback Brunson game where he was like, no, I understand the, uh, I understand the assignment today. <laughs> yeah and um but i mean i'm gonna i said i was i'm gonna go with a comp that is going to probably you off but i mean it in the best way there are a lot ball? of no there are a lot of flashes to me of early career Kyrie irving doesn't have quite the 
up in the air, um, you know, finishing at the rim because he's not that kind of vertical athlete. Uh, but just the handle, the the handle that like he had a few of those. They're they were overplaying him to the left side of the screen with his off hand. The in and out moves was leaving people in the dust. By the way, they they threw Andre Jackson Jr., who I actually like a lot. Um, on him, he was a he's a physical big dude, six six, really hustle guy. I like that he's getting minutes for the Bucks for them. Like the, he's he's the right kind of player you want on that team on a team that's really built for offense. Um, he gives them a lot. And you know Brunson was getting annoyed a couple times because he was playing physical D, right? And I thought it was clean defense. Uh, like I said, you know, sometimes the most frustrating thing cannot be when the other team is actually fouling, but when you know they're being effective and you kind of are just hoping for a bailout call. But Brunson kept his composure, kept attacking. Just the um, the bag this guy has, right? The crossovers, the in and outs, the pull ups. He just he doesn't let you off at all. Um, and um, and and I think because I was thinking about this, like why are people like, yeah, Brunson's good, but why is there always that, right? And I'm like, well, he can't jump out of the gym. Pro- that's probably it, right? And from that kind of a guard, that's what you expect. And he doesn't really have the Dame range, right? Although he's been expanding his range, it's not like Dame or Steph where he just pulls up. I mean, Dame had one, the Knicks were starting to surge, and he walks into a logo three. And it's like, yeah, you can say, well, they should have been a little bit more attentive, but that's just there for him, right? I don't know if Brunson has quite that. So it, it doesn't, he gets penalized, but he just stresses defenses so much. Um. And I know this conversation has been been beaten to death, but I, I I want to have I don't this is not about backlash or you know we we talked about it right like the biggest frustration for Knicks fans is you know that first the the Becky Hammond segment really what what I think really angered was that the the caption was are the Knicks stuck right and Malika Andrews asks are the Knicks stuck and when the response when when that's the whole conversation they're coming off you know they they lost this was even before they lost the Bucks this was after they had beat um the Nets and the Lakers back to back and pretty convincingly right and and that's the topic of conversation it's frustrating because one you know they in, in the last two weeks he's outplayed he's been the best player. even on saturday i thought he was the best player on the floor yeah, well, yeah. Cool. Either way, that's not even really a debate nearly outscored uh Giannis and dame by himself before that against the, against the lakers anthony davis lebron james two bona fide elite players was the best player on the floor against kevin durant and uh, or Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, um, you know, he was the best player on the floor. That has like that hasn't been the issue, right? Um, he, he averaged thirty in the playoffs. You know, like like the the question is, do you need a better player than Brunson to win a championship? Now, if the if the argument is, well, you every team has an MVP, right? I could get behind that, but I think like just to say that, oh, the best player is never this the smaller guy. Okay, why is that, right? Well, you could say, well. You know, if you don't have wing size, it can be tough to generate uh, efficient offense in the playoffs. No, right? They faced two elite defenses last year. The Knicks had a – it's not a – it's not some – but for the playoffs, uh, he had, they had a 115 offensive rating with him on the floor. That's pretty solid against those quality of defenses. It, they fell off a trade – they fell off the – they fell off a cliff, by the way, with Brunson off. They went down to an 80 offensive rating in the minutes they didn't play. Um you know, part of that quickly hurt when quickly played, he was ineffective on offense for most of the playoffs. Fine, but he they had a they had a pretty solid offense with him on the floor. He he's putting up the numbers. There haven't been defenses that have really solved him in the playoffs. Um, and then the other part, so then you'd say, all right, so historically, why are those reasons, right? Number one, maybe so number one, I would say, why why do short guys never end up being the best player? Number one, they get paid like they're the best player. And if you're if the guy you pay like that, is a 
is a liability on defense or can't add value, it really constrains your ability to build around them, right? You need that guy because, uh, you know, Iverson was paid like that and their the strategy for the Sixers was let's surround them with great defenders. The problem was they're all limited on offense, right? Their second option was what, Aaron McKee? Um, you know, you see that with a lot of these players. Brunson is not paid like that, right? Brunson is paid $24 million a year. The other small guards, Ja, they're all making at least $10 million more than him. So one, that may not apply as much. You have the ability to build around him with, and then if you want to say, well, the Knicks haven't really been able to do that with the kind of two-way players as much as you'd like, we can talk about that. But clearly the problem isn't that Brunson is the best player, right? He's averaged 36 and a half against the Bucks. If they say, well, a taller player would have averaged 40 and that makes the difference, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, number two might be, you know, so I, I mentioned that, you know, smaller guys don't necessarily get their, their shot. Oh, and, and I'll add this, right? The guys that have been successful, Isaiah and Steph, are brilliant shot makers, right? The, the, everyone says Steph is the exception because he's the greatest shooter in history. Look at the like Brunson is shooting what forty six percent from three. He's like, is he is he Steph? No, but he's shooting really well on on high volume, right? It hasn't been the hyper athletic guys that have broken the the short guy mold. It has been shooters, and he is a shooter. Um, the other part of that I'll mention to to the previous point, Steph was the first time they won when Steph was their best player. Steph was on a like what eleven million dollars a year when he signed after he you know he had the ankle injuries eleven or twelve yeah something like that so that allowed them to get a guy like Iguodala um, you know they had Draymond right so they were able to so people I'm not taking away from just how brilliant Steph is but his contract did allow them to build around him at a time when especially that part of his career he hadn't really elevated on defense to the level he, he has been now um, that allowed them to really build around him in a way that mitigates some of those concerns. Um, so to me, it's like, I, I would have probably agreed with a lot of what people are saying, but if you look beyond it and just, instead of saying it hasn't happened before, say, what are the context? What, what are the reasons for that? Let's dig deep. Do those really apply to Brunson? No. Do I think they need to surround him with good defenders and good two-way players and shooters? Absolutely. But the bigger issues have been, they haven't had a consistent second option or a third option, uh, in the, you know, in these games. And, um, that's really the biggest issue. And we can talk about that. Do they need another score? Absolutely. We've talked about this a lot. Either Brandel needs to show that he can consistently be that, um, or they need to, to find someone who can be that. Um, but I think that was like, you know, leaving aside kind of, you know, whatever the disrespect or whatever, like, I, I'm not even going to get into that. I'm saying if you actually have a real conversation about whether a small guy can be your top, certainly your top offensive option, but even your best player, you dig deep into the reasons why it hasn't happened historically. And I think Brunson has all of the ability and, and the context that they have, the Knicks have, they have all of the ability to kind of not have to get an MVP level player and still contend. Um, is that, was that a question? Like I, was that a question or just a statement? That's a statement. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know where I fall on this in the sense, like, I think, I think Brunson can be your best scorer. Uh, I still have a little bit of apprehension about, like, can he be your best? Uh, can he be your primary facilitator? Although, like, I, I tend, I'm pretty sure he can. I just think, like, Tibbs' offenses have consistently ground down into fucking, you know, dust into the playoffs regardless of who he has at his disposal so i think some of that some of the issues with like how stagnant and all that stuff it, it could be is more on 
But that's not really a height issue, right? That's more just kind of yeah. I mean, I, and I and I yeah and I yeah and I also yeah and I also just think that has more to do with Tibbs' system and coaching style than it has to do with players, um, which is also why like I'm at a point where I'm like I kind of don't care. Like I care about the very underlying stuff of like, do you pass out of drives? Like that's the like, but like when I look at our low assist rate and I look at guys like, you know, quickly or Brunson, who for a starting point guard isn't like a high assist guy or whatever, like I just am like, eh, I kind of think a lot of this is just systemic. And I feel like if you, because I watch like plenty of Kings and Malik Monk's having like a great passing season, I don't think Malik Monk is some like amazing passer, but I do think that like the way they play is conducive to guys getting assists. So like it's not surprising to me that he's having a very good assist season. Um, and I think if you put him in New York and you swapped, you know, fucking, you know, fucking, like, like Dante DiVincenzo there, he'd probably have a, more, a higher assist number than he does now. And Monk would probably be a lot lower. So like, I, I, that's just, I mean, whatever, that's very far afield from your question. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Brunson could be your number one scorer. I think he's probably possible for him to be your number one offensive player. Um, do I think he can be your best player? I don't, no, I don't think so. Like, I think you need somebody you would like. You usually, need like, an MVP, right? Regardless yeah, well, it's like height. the it's it's like the idea of like LeBron is the Lakers' one hundred percent unequivocal best offensive player. Still, I do think Anthony Davis is better than him today um, because of what he gives you. Both well, when healthy, he is the best defender, right? right. Besides maybe Bam, but yeah. I would take Anthony Davis. I mean, Anthony Davis is a bigger Bam essentially. Yeah. So, so I. I that's where I kind of land on it. But like, I also think there's a world where like, maybe you don't like, maybe your team, you know, we've talked about like, can you, if you can get Laurie Markin in for just like RJ and a couple picks or whatever the hell it is, like, is that team a contender? And I think that team would be a contender. And I think Brunson would be the best player on that team. So maybe, I, you know, I, I, I don't know, like the, kind of thinking about this just makes me feel like the way we discuss this stuff and the way, I mean, especially that conversation about Brunson and just the Knicks in general is like really reductive and stupid. Like, oh, are the Suns a contender right now because they have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker? Are they a contender? Like, I, I don't think so. Well, they're getting but Bradley Beal back, so that'll change everything. Yeah, he, he'll, he'll be back forever. Um, but like, I don't know. I, I just think the way, I think the way that people talk about this stuff with the NBA is like, that it feels like very much a dated way to talk about it with how talented the league is. I think it's a pretty dated way to talk about it. Like is OKC a contender right now? I mean, the metrics would say they are. So let's say they are like how many guys in the team are you like, Oh, he's a top 10 guy. Top like one. Yeah. One. One. And they have a guy who can play like, I, I will, you got to give Chet Helmer credit. Like he's really good. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. I'm not going to put him in that conversation yet, obviously, because he just has not, I mean, second year in the league, it's whatever it is, 30 games in the season. Like I'm not denying he has that talent. I'm just saying like, I I don't know. Like, I just think how many, how many top 10 players do the Minnesota Timberwolves have? Do they even have one? No. I mean, is Ed better than Brunson at this moment? Maybe he's a little more playoff proof because he's a better defender when the chips are down, but I don't think I just, he's not offensively he's not better than Brunson. I don't think yeah, he's not I, right now. I, I just but like either way, I mean, first of all, I don't I don't think Jalen Brunson is a top ten player. But like yeah. I, I don't think Ant is either. And I think Minnesota is a contender. And like like what I would what I would say about Minnesota is 
I don't think Anthony Edwards can run your offense. And that's going to be a problem for them in the playoffs because I don't think Mike Conley is good enough or, or maybe not necessarily that he's not good enough, but they don't have enough. They don't have another facilitator aside from Mike Conley that I would trust. So like, but like if they got, let's just say they got Reggie Jackson or like they got, I don't know, Malcolm Brogdon quickly. Yeah. Whatever. Let's just say they got Malcolm Brogdon as whatever. I like to make fun of him, but like, I would feel a lot better about their chances. Like that, I'd, be, I'd feel a lot better. It's like, okay, now you actually have somebody off the bench who, like, yeah, is he the best facil- facilitator? No, but he can come in and he can just like do his thing, run a bunch of pick and rolls, and you're okay for like five, six, seven minutes. Like, th- like, and that's what is Malcolm Brogdon? He's like a fuck. He's like a top hundred player. You know what I mean? He's like, man of the year. Well, yeah. Well, that that sucked. But like, my my point is more like I just think the way we're talking about basketball still is so reductive and stupid because the talent pool is bigger than it's ever been. And I therefore think that like teams like the Knicks or Minnesota or whatever that like maybe you don't view as true contenders. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The Knicks is currently constructed, especially without Mitchell Robinson, are hundred percent not true contender. Now what makes them a true contender? Do they just, oh, if they don't get a fucking MVP caliber guy, it's impossible? I reject that. I think that there is a path to contention without that. And maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I suspect over the next 5, 10, 15 years, we will see more ensemble casts winning a title. Like, shit, I think you could argue two years ago, Boston almost did it. I think you could say three years ago, Phoenix almost did it. Well, I mean, Miami was six games last year, right? And yeah. I mean, Butler has not what five. five. They went to six against the the Lakers, Lakers in the bubble, and 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 Bam missed a bunch of that series. Yeah, and like as good as Jimmy Butler is, I don't necessarily consider him an MVP player, even with playoff Jimmy. Right? He didn't. I mean, did the Heat beat the Knicks because Butler was the best player on that floor? I think there are some people who believe that. I, I actually think he wasn't the best player on the Heat. Um, I think Bam Adebayo is still underrated. Um, I, I think that you hit, you hit it on the and you've been talking about this for a while, like the super team thing where you have two or three stars, hasn't really played out. Like Phoenix is just the latest iteration. Um, I think the one that really had a lot of success, the original kind of in the new age, the super team, or let's say Boston started it right. They had the big three in their prime. All three played really good defense. I think what made the Heatles work really well, that's the most underrated part of that, aside from having two top five players in their prime, was, um, and including, you know, second best player of all time, they all three really bought in on defense. They were all extremely impactful defenders, uh, especially Bosch. Bosch might have been the best of the three, to be honest. Like, he was a great defender in Miami. Um, and that's what gets talked about so little. So if you want to say Brunson cannot be your you know like you can say this right like your best player can't get played off by the way that applies to how many wings how many times have you seen a team win a championship with a defensive liability as their best defender or as their best player i'm going to say dallas really that's it i mean can you think of anyone else recently um it, Steph, I don't think was a liability. I don't think Steph's a liability. I think if, if you're like, I've never the Steph thing is a liability is stupid because it's like, oh well, they he couldn't handle LeBron and ISO. It's like okay, well that's um, that's always the answer. Like, how do you stop Steph? You attack him on defense. If it was that easy, buddy, that would have worked, right? I do. Think well, also, like of- what they give you offensively is the point. It's like, yeah, you can do that, 
but this guy can get get it back on the other end. So, well, like, oh, I, I mean, I do think that the, if you're not, I do think if if your guy can get played off the floor, or like in a situation where like he's so bad on defense that it gives away, like there's a reason why no good no, the the top wings are also really good defenders, right? Like Paul George is kind of that that prototype, even though he's not won anything. Um, I do think like if if you're in a situation where Brunson is really getting attacked and is is giving away a lot of that, that's that's a, a fair thing to bring up. But that's not usually what gets talked about, right? You're talking about offense with these guys. I don't see what Brunson's weakness is really on offense. You want to say like playmaking, fine. Um, but we're not even at that point of discussion. Like, and and this is not to you know attack Becky Hammond necessarily. And it's I get it. It's ESPN. It's going to be a short segment. She doesn't have time to go into like why she might believe it. Totally get that. Um, I think the Kenny Smith comment was way more ridiculous. Like the Paolo Bancura thing is like, are you are you are you drunk? Like, what the hell is going on? He's not better than Jalen Brunson. He's probably. Not, I mean, is is Bancura better than Julius Randle? I don't think so. Um, it certainly like if your argument is Randall was shit in the playoffs. Like, well, let's see what Paolo Bancaro does in the playoffs. Well, I mean, we saw Paolo Bancaro, and I know FIBA is not the same thing, but he was not. He did not cover himself in glory over there. Yeah. So, um, I just, I think to your point, it's a reductive conversation, and I definitely agree that like for a variety of reasons, I think the like you know, and I think that the Knicks are going to go through this right when they have to pay Brunson and Randall. I don't think that's necessarily like I. I I think they will eventually have to trade Randall, and this has nothing to do. I think he's played a lot better. It's not something like they need to do it to contend this year, but I don't think they'll be able to pay both of them and like build a really good roster around them. Um, but like I like here's the thing: Do you believe the Knicks could win a title if they trade for Lowry Markkinen? Uh yeah, I do. And would he be the Knicks' best player? No. I mean that's kind of says it all right there, right? Yeah, I mean um, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is I just I just think like the, I, I think I, I think, think the best way to be a contender with OG. I, I know you don't agree with that, yeah. but like yeah, I I am pretty in on this. Like Brunson can be your top offensive guy. But sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, I just think that like um, the league, like I would probably guess that the top the top forty. 35 40 guys in the league today are better than the top 35 40 have ever been in the league before and therefore i think like this idea you need to have an mvp caliber guy or a top 10 guy or top five is misguided if you have three guys that are like top 25 ish and like and, when the, and none of your guys can be liability like you said this with Pritchard and the Celtics right if Pritchard's your worst defender you're in a pretty good spot like that that's where you know the Knicks would like to be um you know besides like Brunson I think right so yeah I just think that like I don't know I I think Brunson's pretty easily he's definitely a top 25 guy to me I think Randall I mean Randall it's all about the playoffs right if he if the guy that he is in the regular season shows up in the playoffs or is like 80 to 85 percent of that guy He's right there on the cusp of top 25. And then Mark and I, obviously we have no idea what he's going to do in the playoffs, but like, I think as a regular season player, he's a top 25 guy. So, I mean, I don't really see the reason why that, like, I mean, you could tell me they're still a dark horse relative to Milwaukee or Boston. I'd agree with that. But like, I personally think, again, this is just all under this weird, like we're in this weird hypothetical where it's like, take out RJ, put in Markkinen or whatever. 
Um, and and also like where Randall doesn't play like a bum in the playoffs. Like these are we don't know the answer to these questions. But if you, you know, if, if you get Mark in it and he's what he was in Utah, but for you, and if you get Randall to show up in the playoffs, like, yeah, I think that team's a contender. I don't even think that's very controversial. Like, why would they not be a contender? Yeah, I mean, if they have to really kill all their depth for marketing, like if they give up quickly Grimes and RJ or something like that, that becomes tough. Um, but, but I mean, and I'll add on the super team point, right? I don't think Milwaukee is the best team in the East. I actually still, you know, I still think it's Boston. Um, even though the fact that, you know, Giannis is better than Tatum, um, you know, Dame is a lot better than whoever you consider the number two. I think team construction matters, right? Like, Building a more and, and how the players fit together now, Giannis and Dame are a perfect fit, but around them, they are going to guys like Andre Jackson because they just don't have the defenders. I mean, the Knicks killed them in points in the paint, that felt pretty sustainable. It wasn't like the Knicks were hitting a ton of ridiculous shots. Um, <coughs> and um, and I would, I mean, you know, so I, I think that t- it's diminishing returns to that concept where you sacrifice, you have to make a move for a star. Um, you know, and, and like, I'll say this, like going back to Brunson, like, you know, how do you define a star? You mentioned this with RJ, right? It helps for him that we, we always say that at the beginning of games, Randall hits a three, RJ hits a three, you know, it's nice to see it. It's nice to see him make one, right. To, that'll get him going. And we see that, right. And if they miss their first couple, we're like, Oh, here, here goes. You know, it's not that they haven't bounced back with Brunson. It's never like that with Dame. It's not like that, right. Dame started off, I think like Oh, for five or something. And, you never felt like, oh, Dame's just not going to have a good game tonight. It was like, no, it's just a matter of time. Brunson is a matter-of-time player. I think that's a good definition for a star. You just know at some point this guy, if he's if he's missing shots, he's missing shots. But there isn't a way to stop him, and he doesn't need to get, get going early to feel like he's going to have a good night. Um, and like, and I, I think he's just been, been awesome. Um, and I think what I particularly like about the Lowry fit is he complements the other – like who would be the number two option? Some nights it'd be Randall. And, um, you know, for, for me, like if they got Lowry, right. I think one thing you've mentioned in the past is that Randall, you know, will he accept being a third option if they get another guy, right? Like, can he, can he downshift? I don't think he would have to necessarily with Lowry, right. Because it's almost like in the Sopranos where Tony gives uncle junior, like he, he says, you're the boss, right. Wink, wink, right. On the side, Tony's kind of doing a lot more of the stuff, right. I think if they got Lowry, they would be like, yeah, Randall, you're the second option. Wink, wink. But behind the scenes and behind the arc and all of this stuff that Lowry can do, that doesn't necessarily require him. He's like kind of the perfect guy to avoid some of those problems you brought up, right? If they get, if they got a guy like Bradley Beal or if they got a guy like, you know, even Booker's that great so that I wouldn't have any qualms about that. But if they got like another high, Donovan Mitchell, right? you do have to worry about Randall kind of being willing to downshift. Those worries aren't there as much with Lowry, right? Because you can kind of, you can get Lowry's 20, 22 points in a way that accentuates the team without having to say, Randall, you need to sacrifice your touches. Um, I mean, getting Randall to sacrifice his touches seems like a very difficult problem. Um, you can see it. You saw it in the fucking Milwaukee game. He came in and there was like this sequence where he decided like quickly's rolling and he, it's just like oh no 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 I gotta get but my... a presence of a guy like Lowry 
I think eases that, or it, it kind of will create a better context for that. You know what I mean? Maybe, but I, the main concern to me is that he looks at Lowry and he's like, well, I'm still better than this guy. Like, I think Brunson, I know Brunson hasn't made an all-NBA team or an all-star team, but I think there's a different cachet there. Also, let's be quite honest, Brunson obviously had the backing of the entire organization. Like, we, they, like that's just a very different thing. Um, but I, I always worry with him where it's like, if you get, I mean, I, I still think it's worth doing. And obviously, like, you shouldn't not acquire a player that improves you because you're worried that, like, Randall might not defer to him. Like, if, that, if that's the case, then maybe that's a Randall problem. Um, but, like, I I do think that there would at least be kind of an adjustment period for sure. Um, and we know this. Like, we know from the Kemba experience that if you bring somebody in that's supposed to like make life easier for Julius and somebody who he has to make, I don't want to say defer to, but like play off of a little bit more than he plays off of say RJ, because he usually makes RJ play off of him. Um, like that guy better be, he better deliver. Um, yeah. I mean, if Randall doesn't play well in the playoffs, we have then to it doesn't right. matter. Then, then none of this matters. If Randall doesn't play well in the playoffs, um, then it doesn't matter. And and I, honestly, that's that's the one argument that I actually do think holds some weight in terms of like the Knicks, not just the Knicks, but like, why would you not? Oh, like, let's say you can get Laurie for three first round picks. Why would you not do that? And it's like, well, what if Randall sucks again in the playoffs? And then now we don't have our best picks to trade. And well, you can we, still I mean, you can trade him if quickly struggles again in the playoffs and you extend him. Like, I don't think Randall would not have trade value, even if he sucked in the playoffs again. Right, but does he have the trade value you need to get the type of guy that you need? You know, that, that's... But if you have Brunson and Lowry... Well, if you have Brunson and Lowry, you can trade Randall for a pick or two. You can, If you need to trade quickly, you can trade quickly. Or if quickly is resurged, maybe he becomes that guy. Um, but, you know, you, you still would be able to, like, shape out the roster. You just wouldn't be able to... You've now closed the avenue to getting MVP type player or, like, a star, right? Yes, correct. Um, so, or another star, I should say. Um, I do think that's fair. I also don't know if they have Brunson and Lowry, a healthy Mitch or healthy center. Still have a guy like Josh Hart. Um, you know, if they keep quickly, you know, you have another two-way player there. I don't know. I, I think maybe even Brunson and Lowry, if you can get just guys around, you know, if you can get, then maybe you trade Randall to get a guy like OG, right? Or someone like that. Um, because I do think like, like offense really isn't the issue for this team when Brunson's on the floor, like even in the playoffs. I actually honestly believe that they had a 115 offensive rating that I think is, I don't know what the, the playoff offensive ratings for teams that won it is, but much higher than that against playoff top defenses is going to be tough to, to put together. Um, and, um, and so like, and, and the, here's the thing, right? If you really think that, you know, without getting an MVP player, the Knicks are fucked and Brunson's never going to be that then logically, then you should just say trade Brunson and tank, right? Because isn't that the logical, like from the, like the Knicks are stuck. They need to get that next tier of star, an MVP level player, and they can't. And teams aren't trading those for what the Knicks have. Wouldn't the logical, maybe you can say, well, now you should trade Randall for picks, be patient. While, by the way, Brunson's contract starts to, to get to the end and he might not love just taking a step back and trading away his number two option. And then say, like, let's, that's one path, but that's also doesn't seem very reasonable. Then the logical, the logical follow up is okay, Brunson's not that guy. Trade everyone and tank, right? <laughs> so you can get that star. 
I don't think the Knicks are going to do that. Um, if this is your way of rehashing, like, oh, they should have tanked a couple years ago. Uh, well, they did. They tanked and they got the third pick in the draft. And he's been, I, I don't, I think he's been good for them overall. Wasn't that, isn't that MVP level player? I think even the, the most hardcore RJ stands wouldn't disagree with that. Um, they did it a couple years ago and they got a really great player as well. And they got an all-star in KP. That So like, that's no surefire way. So like, I, I think that, yeah, like at this point, if you believe at all in Brunson, uh, if you don't believe in Brunson, then, then then tear it down. If you do believe at all in Brunson, it's going to be that kind of a move. Um, and then if Randall doesn't pan out, then you're going to have to continue to to find a way to move him and, and to add guys around, you know, Brunson and potentially Lowry that, that can move the needle. Um, the, um, the next, I, I do want to talk about this. I know this is one of your favorite players in the NBA and a, a guy you really want to go after. Um, the Knicks were rumored to have interest in uh, DeJounte Murray. Um, and, um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? That he's not good, that he's not anything at all what we need. Like, why? It makes no sense. So to play devil's advocate here, I'm, I'm not, uh, this is not the move I would want the Knicks to make necessarily. He is shooting 38% from three this year on six attempts per game. Don't care. Um, he, you know, he gives you the ability, he, if they do have to trade RJ Barrett, he gives you a little bit, you know, that rim pressure. He was a very impactful player in, in San Antonio uh, his last year. Um, you know, uh, he, and he gives you, you know, if you're not going to start Grimes, he gives you a solid point of attack defender. Does he? Uh, and, and he might be, he Does might he? be cheap, right? I mean, is there a cost at which, if it's just no. RJ and a protective no. pick, you would, RJ no. and a protective pick, you're not doing no. it. Wow. No. Not interested in DeJounte Murray on this team. I have zero interest in him. I have no interest in his personality. I have no interest in him as a player. I have no interest in dealing with clutch and having to hear about how Rich Paul's fucking butt hurt because Leon Rose didn't kiss his ass. Um, no, I have no interest in DeJounte Murray. I never have. I've never wanted the Knicks to acquire him. I didn't want them to acquire him two years ago when they definitely could have. I don't want them to acquire him now. I don't have any idea what he does for this team. I mean, do I, you think under Tibbs, maybe the de- no. the defensive kind of prowess comes back? No. I don't think he was ever that good of a defender. Not even San Antonio. No. I thought it was, I thought that was the stupidest all the like he got all defense for what playing ten two minutes a fucking night, yeah really like it, he plays for any other team in the NBA at that time nobody's even talking about that fucking guy like he he's the fakest like you're saying it's a small market bias I'm just saying no it's a Spurs bias it's like oh like this is like how all their young players right now magically end up oh Devin Sell is so talented yeah they have like six like congrats you have four wins compared to Detroit's two congratulations. Um, like I, I just, to me, DeJounte's a guy who, if you suck, he can like get like they San Antonio traded him, right? What happened to San Antonio when they traded him? They were absolutely terrible. What did they end up winning last year? Like 17 games or something, whatever it was. What were they the year before with DeJounte Murray? They were like nine, 39 wins, some, something like that. They're a playing team. They're a playing team. He is good enough to take some decent collection of role-playing type talent. And if he's the guy, the primary guy that's going to get a bunch of usage, yeah, you might be able to get the, uh, get to a play in. There were 34 wins as last. Okay, season. so that's even <laughs> – okay, there we go. So, like, yeah, you might be able to get to that level. But does he actually play well 
off of guys that are better than him, that command more usage than him, that are higher up in the totem pole than him? I don't think so. And I don't – so why would I want him? Like, he does nothing to me to elevate Brunson. He does nothing to me to elevate Julius Randle. If we kept R.J. Barrett in this scenario, he would do nothing to me to elevate him or compliment him or whatever. However you want to pray. You don't think he could cover for the defensive shortcomings. He can't cover. They can't even make the fucking Hawks better on defense. They sucked on defense before he got there. They're still fucking awful. Like, at some point, like, I don't know. I I just think maybe he's not that impactful. It's okay. Like, doesn't mean he's, like, he's a bad player. No. But why would I want to trade for him? We can just play Emmanuel quickly more. Like, I, I just don't understand what the logic is. Oh, because DeJounte Murray is like two inches taller and has a wingspan and sometimes this cool stuff in ISO defense. I should like all of a sudden now value him more. But like for some reason, for some reason, the Knicks have every year been better than 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 DeJounte Murray's teams have basically for like the last three or four years. Like it's I'm not saying all this is down to DeJounte. It's not like, oh, DeJounte Murray's the reason why his teams are what they are, but like He's not elevating them, so why the fuck would he elevate us? I don't. And his skill set isn't even a great compliment. Like he's, I know he's shooting thirty eight percent from three. I'm sorry, I'm gonna bet on the career sample at this point. It's pretty, it's large enough. Um, and yeah, I mean he's at thirty seven point four right now for the year. So like his career is thirty four point one. I would, I would, if I had to bet, I would bet that it comes if he finishes closer to thirty four than he does to forty. Yeah, I think that's a fair bet. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the fact that, you know, I do think Brunson's a much better off-ball player than Trey Young. I'm not sure I want to take the ball out of Brunson's hand. I think, ideally, if you got a great facilitator next to him, uh, and I do think, you know, if you get a great facilitator next to him, it could elevate him a little bit in some ways, um, allowing him to focus a little bit more on scoring. I don't know that Murray's that guy. I know he averaged, you know, nine, 10 assists in San Antonio, it hasn't necessarily translated to the Hawks. And while I do think Brunson is a better off-ball player than Trey, that is another small guard. Um, it hasn't worked, right? Another guy who likes to, to score with Murray next to him. Um, we, we don't need to be taking, like, hypothetical bets on players in trade. Like, the Knicks are good enough where we don't need to do that. We don't need to and, operate. And marketing in comparison, who will be a lot more expensive. I do bring that up because it, it's an important factor. You wouldn't be betting the farm on on Murray. I think like if it's just RJ and a protected, right? Um, it probably won't be that. So this is probably a non-starter. But but our marketing is a lot less of a hypothetical fit on the Knicks, right? He's played the three before in Cleveland, been very successful. Uh, next to a ball dominant guard in Garland. Um he's played um, you know, he's playing really well in Utah as the number one option. You know, they're really a lot worse without him on the floor. So um, I, I, I definitely think it's, 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 um, it's a lot less hypothetical. Um, but I think the advantage of Murray is you wouldn't have to really, if it works out the right way, you wouldn't have to, um, to bet the farm. Another MVP player who might be available at some point going forward um, you know, what happened in, what is happening in Phoenix, you know, they're obviously not meeting expectations at this point. Durant expressed frustration. Um, do you think, do you think Booker is a guy who the Knicks might be able to target, even if not this season, maybe in the off season? Um, and is it worth maybe holding your chips for that move? Uh, I don't think he'll be available this off season. He's got like five years left under contract. So even if 
he wants out, Phoenix can just be like, no, we're not going to do it. Um, and I just think at some point, like, yeah, you can, there's always like, it's funny. Cause I've advocated, like, you shouldn't just make a trade because this guy's available now. Usually somebody else comes available, but like, this team's actually good. So like, they're at a point where if a guy becomes available who genuinely you feel makes you a contender, then you should be willing to do it. Um, like if I didn't think Markin made as a contender, I'd be like, yeah, no, move on. Like, but I do. And so therefore I would like, if, if you know for sure Booker is going to be available and you believe he's going to make you a contender, then sure. Wait, fine. I'm fine with that. But like, you better know, and you better have a pretty good idea that you're going to get it done. Um, if you're passing on opportunities that then get cashed in by somebody else. Like if OKC decides, hey, you know what? Let's get Laurie Markin in. They do it. So um, that's what I'd say. I just think like you can't you you can't pass on opportunities now for something down the line that maybe might one day happen. Um, especially if the opportunity you're talking about is one that makes you a contender. So going back to Booker, Booker is 27. Um, if if it doesn't work out for the Suns with the KD field you know experiment. He's 27 now. He is. He has a five-year extension kicking in that starts next year. Uh, to your point, but the Suns, you know, now they don't have. You know, they've traded a lot of picks. You know, they could probably get value for KD, um, but it'll be basically going backwards, right? Going back to you know, they probably wouldn't get Mike Mikkel Bridges or, or Cam Johnson and, and those kind of guys. At this at this point, by the time they're ready to contend, even if they kind of restock some of their picks. Booker will be 31, 32, maybe. Um, and may at that point even, you know, say that, okay, this time I, I want to go somewhere else, right? Or, or, you know, a couple of years he might demand a trade. If the Suns really want to decide that it's not working and pull pull the plug and build a, do a full rebuild, does that put him into play more? Um, maybe, I just don't see why they would do it. I, I just, I have a hard time believing in you. Because they're not going to be good. A but a new owner came in and traded everything for Kevin Durant. He's not punting on that after one season. And he'll probably look at this and be like, oh, well, Beal missed time, and this guy sucked, and that guy sucked. We'll figure it out this summer, and that's that. Like, I just don't think Beal's getting traded this summer, and I think people are being delusional about this. Like, he's got – what player gets traded with five years left on their contract? Has any player ever gotten traded with five years left on their contract? Ever. Well, Mitchell got traded with three left, right? And That's a pretty big difference. Yeah, but I mean, if you're anticipating that coming down the line. Yeah, but even if you're anticipating that, you'll be like, okay, well, I can wait like a couple of years. I'll still get a fucking haul. If if Booker was available, is there anything off the table for you to trade for him? Like individually or? Is there a guy you're like, in no circumstance am I trading this guy besides Brunson? No. Under no circumstance, no. So you trade quickly in a Booker trail. Yeah. yeah, if it was like, oh, we'll give you give we'll give you Booker for quickly and Fournier and whatever other fucking matching contract, like quickly and RJ and Fournier for Booker, I'd be like, and a million okay. picks. Yeah, I mean, well, that, but that's the point. Then no, I'm not going to do it. I'm saying, but there's no no individual. So, so like, how much? So like, so you'd have to you'd have to reduce like the unprotected pick package for Booker to include quickly, like substantially for you. Yes. I just don't, I, I, I don't, but I don't even think this. like, he's not getting traded. I, I don't, like, I think it's crazy that people are actually, like, he can go up there and cry and demand a trade and they're going to laugh in his face. They'll be like, that's great, dude. You signed a five-year extension. Maybe you shouldn't have done that. That's your problem. Yeah. Like, um, he, like what's going to do? Not try for the next five years? It's not realistic. People have done that. <laughs> um, 
Zion. Albert Hainsworth. Yeah. Oh, is that a good comp for Zion? Albert Hainsworth? Uh, Maybe. Which one's heavier? Um, the, um, yeah, so, I mean, I think that, um, yeah, it, it seems unlikely that Booker will get traded. And, like, I, you know, and, and the other thing I'll add, um, so I don't think it'll happen this season. I know you've said that there's a good chance, you know, if the Cavs continue to, you know, they're picking it up a little bit, but the Cavs flounder, you know, maybe they're six seed or even a play-in team. Do you think the, um, you know, do you think he gets traded this offseason? And do you think it's worth the Knicks trying to get him? Uh, I think he will get traded this offseason. I probably would not trade for him. Even what if it's like Grimes, RJ, and like a couple of picks? Mm, probably not. Can you? Is it just a small backcourt, or you're adding not a? I just don't backcourt? really get what like. Okay, so I now we have one wing on the roster, and. Well, the Knicks probably would have it's a draft Josh Hart, who's like six. Okay, so now we're depending on rookie. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, okay, so now we're depending on rookies to come into a playoff rotation and like address not just like, hey, we need you to buy us five minutes here and there off the bench. No, no, no. Hey, we need you to be a quality wing defender in playoff series. Like, that's just not. Realistic. Well, I mean, other teams have. I mean, it's been probably a little bit repeated ad nauseum. It's worth noting the Heat are worse in his minutes, but. You know, he's got a guy in Jaime Jaquez, right, who's providing some level of that impact, right? I, I don't think he's as good of a defender yet. I think he will be. He's very talented. Um, but also what I'll add to that is if you really think of Quickly's impact as that good and you get to hold on to him in this deal, which I assume you'd prefer to do than keep a true wing. Or Grimes isn't really a true wing, but if you keep a guy like Grimes with more size, maybe he can cover for some of those kind of... He's not going to be on the floor to close games, though. Like your your start, your close Brunson. Unless Mitchell. you double down on kind of a three guard lineup. Yeah, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Like, and honestly, the next three guard lineups here haven't been particularly that good between with uh, Brunson, DiVincenzo, quickly. I don't. They haven't played a lot of Mitchell minutes. Mitchell isn't DiVincenzo, but yeah, but like, I mean, yeah, you're right. That might not be a good thing. Um, but well, he's like, bigger, he's stronger. Um, DiVincenzo's a better rebounder. He can he's a create. Defensive player. Mitchell gives you a lot more creation, right? Of of course, but like. I mean, only one by one guy is gonna have the ball in their hands at a time. So like, a lot of his utility. I mean, Brunson's a, point, a good off-ball player though, and so is quickly. Yeah, but you need to be like these guys have to provide like. So now we're taking the ball out of their hands to give it to Mitchell. Like, this is just like this makes well, no to sense. Well, amplify Mitchell to that like all three we, of them. Are now we're amplifying Donovan Mitchell, who can't. Well, they would amplify each other, right? Because all a three of them are good playoff really series great. since the fucking bubble. So that's a that's a fair point, but I'm, I'm saying that. I do think like the com like if you don't think that Mitchell and Brunson would make each other better. I didn't want to trade for him. I didn't want to trade for him in the first place. But if the cost is lower, that that the cost was like what it would have been like Mitch, RJ, and quickly, I think, and three firsts. Like that obviously was a non-starter. But we know a little bit more about Grimes now and some of his limitations. Do you so you want to go to battle against fucking Boston and Milwaukee with Brunson, Mitchell, pick a three, Randall? Mitch, I'm sorry. I'm just out on that. Like, I'm not doing that. I just, we're going to get destroyed. That That's a joke. Like, so I think earlier this year, you had said that that would be kind of the move you saw them making. Yeah, it I could see that. that. Uh, but you, so you, you don't think there's any world in which you'd be like 
enthusiastic. I just think they shouldn't do it. No, I just think they shouldn't do it. Unless it's like literally like, hey, we'll trade you Mitchell for RJ straight up. Like, I'm just not really that interested in it. And and it's not because Donovan Mitchell is not a good player. It just, I just don't really get, like, the point of making these moves is to like make us a contender. Like, that doesn't really, that to me, that's like a version of the Hawks, a better version of the Hawks doing the DeJounte Murray trade. Where it's like, yeah. I would say it's more like the Cavs doing the, the, the same thing, but um, sure. I mean that that's the point. It didn't make them a contender either. But like, hey, you know, they won the fucking Labor Day press press conference, so good for them. Um, um, I I did want to ask. So moving away from the star trades, I did want to ask. So you mentioned yourself, Gibson as the backup is probably not sustainable for 15 minutes a night. Certainly, giving you what he gave you against Milwaukee, it's not a knock on Taj Gibson. That's father time being undefeated that's all of these things and uh, we've seen when hartenstein gets into even against milwaukee got into foul trouble they were on a razor's edge and they asked Taj to do things they probably shouldn't have to ask him to do every night um you know you've mentioned Olinick before i don't know that he's going to be particularly available andre drummond had like a fantastic game if he's your uh, backup he's not gonna be available. do you do you see the knicks making i mean is that the move you see the knicks making like a center who can in or i mean you, you said you might believe in jericho a little bit more even yeah i mean I, I think if they make a move that would be the move but it's possible jericho comes in and does a decent job as a backup and they're like you know what none of this shit's worth it and we're it doesn't make us any materially better so let's pass especially because mitch is gonna be back next year um so that would be my guess the only thing i would say is if if they feel like they can't keep heart and sign and they want to go and jump the market and try to bring somebody in that's under contract past this season to back him up for now and then be the backup behind Mitch next year. I could see that, but who that is, I don't know. Like, I don't think you're going to do that with Clint Capella. I don't think you're going to do that with whoever pick a center. Like it's just Congo extended too, right? That was, a good yeah. Idea. And I, I just, I don't know. I just don't see that being out there, but it, it, it's the thing I could see them doing um, who that is. I don't know. I mean, is there like is Zach Collins like available? That kind of guy, maybe. I would definitely rather not sign Zach Collins. <laughs> well, I mean, he's in the backup role, right? Uh, he gives you that kind of uh, stretch component as well, a little bit. Um, I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that they, if they want to contend this year, do you think that if they did make a market and trade, is there a way to get Olenek back, or do you think that that's just going to be they're just going to give up too much at that point? No, I think they could probably throw in a few seconds for him. I don't think Olenek's going to cost you very much. So do you think they can just do that move in a vacuum then, even if they don't get Lowry? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would imagine there's competition. He's a good player. Um, He's 32 and... years old. I don't think the teams that you would need to beat out to get his get him are going to... They You could probably beat out any of their offers if you wanted to. So, yeah. So Lowry and Olenek would be kind of your guys that you're looking for the next two trade for. Yeah, I think that would be a pretty good move in season. That'd be yeah, fine. That yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, Stacy, let the people know where they can find you. Plug anything you'd like to plug. Um, find me at StacyPatton89. Um, I will plug something we are planning to do, uh, just to preview. But um, for those of you who are college football fans, um, we are doing a – we're going to be partnering with Strictly NFL to do a uh, crossover pod on the college football playoff. Um, so I would encourage you to check that out. 
Um, yes, I'm looking forward to that, as I am also looking forward to the college football playoff uh, in which Ohio State is not playing, but Michigan is. Um, aside from that, I have nothing to plug, so I'll plug all the wonderful work at the Strickland. Check out the recaps that everybody's doing. Matt uh, Miranda did another great one for the Christmas Day victory over the Bucks. Check that out. Gigi just dropped uh, something on who the Liberty should draw or should look at drafting in the WNBA draft. So definitely worth your time. Uh, aside from that, uh, I have nothing. So I hope everybody ha- enjoys the rest of their holidays. I hope everybody had a great Christmas. And uh, thank you to Bet Online, our wonderful sponsor. And I will see you on Friday. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.